0: As we begin together this morning, uh, I'm so excited to be back with you. Uh, I was out of town last week. I went to Colorado Springs. It was around 40 degrees in the evening, Um, most evenings and mornings. Sorry for that. Uh, I got off the plane when I returned and thought I was melting here. Uh, No, I'm I'm a native. This is normal. That was abnormal. Uh, But I was there with with a dear friend of mine that's uh, leading a, a new church and uh, he invited me to preach, and it was really fun to be with, uh, with him. He's one of my best friends in the world, and um, it reminded me, he's visited here if you've ever met Richie, he's one of my best friends in the world, and it reminded me as I was with him how important friendships are, uh, known him for over 20 years, and, um, and that is totally connected to Trinity Sunday. We'll come back to that, uh, the deep friendship that God is inviting you and I into I want to begin with a question, though. Are you ready? I want you to try to answer it. Um, Emory and Tucker are not allowed to take this quiz. Who runs the world? Who runs the world? OJ said, God, you're way ahead of me. Who runs the world? That's what I want you to think about with me. I asked this to my family over dinner last week, and their answers cracked me up. Emery quickly responded, like you, with the right answer, as she often does. She said, God. And I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You're you're too far ahead of me. Slow down. Who runs the world? So let's have some fun with this. So we started to have some fun with it. And Tucker said, Fortnite creator. (laughs) The Fortnite creator runs the world. If you don't know, you need to know that this is not just some little uh, random video game. This company has become the most famous video game ever in the world, and has revenue somewhere in the 4 to $5 billion per year. That's B, billion, and it's a video game. Tucker said, hey, the Fortnite creator runs the world. Who runs the world? Jen sort of looked skeptically at me because she knew I was trying to sort of trip her up. So I clarified the question. Now, some of you might get it. I don't know. We have so many different generations here. I don't know what's about to happen. So I clarified the question. I said, who run the world? Anybody? There we go. Boom. Somebody on the back row got it. Girls, some of you are wondering, what is happening right now? Yeah, so there was this song in 2011 by the R&B superstar, Beyonce. And she asked the question, who run the world? And she answered, girls, listen to what she said. My persuasion can build a nation. Strong enough to bear the children, then get back to business. Wow. It's a prophetic song. It's a song meant to inspire women. The song asks the question over and over, who runs the world? I'm telling you, if you're paying attention, It's hard to still pay attention to the news cycle, I know, but if you're still paying attention, when you ask the question, who runs the world, you'd have to probably consider the possibility that maybe, maybe it's the wealthy that run the world. This is related to Tucker's answers. Those with the biggest bank accounts, they run the world. The ones with the most economic influence, you know, Fortnite or Exxon or Chevron or who runs the world? When you look around at the news cycle, you might think the wealthy run the world. Others of you might say, well, those with the biggest armies run the world, right? I mean, when you can just invade a neighboring nation and demolish whole cities, you're sort of strong and powerful. Maybe the the ones with the biggest armies rule the world or the most violent rule the world. Who runs the world? It certainly seems that the poor and powerless are left to suffer while the wealthy and the strong and the violent dominate. Just this last month, we've seen so much violence in our world, both locally in our own state. And I know the the way in which the news hits us is so global and so immediate that it's really difficult to even keep up with it. I was Uh, continue. As an Anglican, we're connected to so many churches around the world that I'm amazed at the continued terrorism in Nigeria of Christians. What happened in one of our schools continues to happen happen in churches there. Violence just sort of seems like a way of life. And in the face of all the suffering that we see, both the violence, the food shortages, the war, All of creation is crying out in pain. And I'm asking you the question here in Flower Mound, Texas, who runs the world? Who's in charge? I want to tell you that contrary to what you can naturally see with your own eyes, that the wealthy, the powerful, the violent do not run the world, the beating heart of the universe. I'm going to try this out. The capital R reality is this. The triune God rules the world. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. An eternal community of boundless love and power and truth. And I want you to know on this Trinity Sunday that this beautiful reality is not a doctrine that we just need to assent to, but it is a relational reality in which we are invited into. Jesus lived into this reality. We just heard read in our gospel reading him just describing this as capital R reality. It's the water that he swam in. It it was the way he understood reality. It wasn't just a doctrinal truth, but it was a relational reality. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, If you'll allow me to contrast the big capital R reality with our little R realities. I don't mean that the little ones aren't real. I mean that they're only true in as much as they are connected to this larger reality of who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it sort of seems scandalous for me to say, maybe colloquial for me to say, that given the darkness and pain in our world, what we really need is a baptism in the life of the triune God. Like, really? Yeah, really. That's what you and I really need. I want you to turn to Isaiah 6 including if you didn't bring a hard copy of a Bible, pull it up on your phone will overwhelm the the wireless network right now. Isaiah 6. When we ask the question, who runs the world, the answer from the whole narrative of Scripture, including this passage in Isaiah 6, is that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit runs the world. You guys might recall that it was Israel's hope that some king would be their salvation and hope, that if they just had the right king, then they could be like other nations and all would go well with them. And in fact, there were seasons in which uh, the people of God seemed to do pretty well. And one of those kings was Uzziah. It was a person that they had come to know and trust and Israel had thrived. And when we start out this story, we hear that in the year that King Uzziah died, In the year that we had had lost our hope in who would run the world and take care of us and look after us, in that year, Isaiah says, I was given a vision. Um, I was given a vision. He saw the Lord. Isaiah begins to write for us a vision in these 13, I know we only read seven, but in these 13 verses, and even though his source of human trust had been dismantled, look at this, the throne's not empty, it is occupied by none other than God, and God is seated on the throne, and it sort of leaps out at you as a reader, this, there's sparks flying from Isaiah 6 off the pages at you, and those sparks are the holiness, the white, hot, holiness of God. And he says that he sees the, the throne and he sees the, the uh, robe and there's this hot burning heat coming from it. What does that heat symbolize? None other than God's holiness. And Isaiah's almost blinded by it. Isaiah didn't need to be reminded here in this moment uh, what was said back in Exodus, that you cannot see my face, God told Moses, for no one can see me and live. This vision is given, not because Isaiah had tried to work it up, but it's given by God. So God, who is a blinding blaze of holiness, actually wants to be seen and shows himself to Isaiah. And here in these 13 verses... There's these three specific things that happen to and for and with Isaiah that that I believe God wants to do for you and for me. And I want you to remember them because I think they're they're epic. I think they're life-changing. And so here they are, confession. This is the first one, confession. The second one is cleansing, and the third one is commissioning. Confession, cleansing, commissioning. Let's start with confession. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. Up to this moment, it's fascinating to me that the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah, you have a prophet who's been called to speak to the nation of Israel on behalf of God, walking around saying, Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Woe to you. And he's challenging Israel for their sin. God had called him to do this. And there's a lot of, a lot of that going on today where we're, we're, we're quick to see, woe, woe are they, woe to you. It's amazing to me how easy it is to look out and say, oh, there's a problem over there. Woe to you who Isaiah had been doing this. Now he had been called by God to be a prophet, but something happens in this vision and the tables turn on Isaiah and look at the confession. Woe is me, he cries. Woe to me, for I am ruined, he says in verse 5. Upon seeing this vision of God, Isaiah looks inward in his own life and realizes there is deep brokenness. I want you to, to draw a distinction between what Isaiah is confessing This is not like when Moses said, how will I go and speak because I'm not really a person that's very articulate, so I don't have the skill needed. That's not what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is not commenting on some competency shortage in his life, like I'm not really good enough to be a prophet. No, that's not this confession. This is a confession that Isaiah is looking down inside of him going, man, I'm a mess. There is deep brokenness inside of me. It's not just that I don't have the words to say or I'm too young like some of the other prophets, but he says, I am a man of unclean lips. He's expressing utter brokenness. When you and I are given a vision of who God really is, we begin to see ourselves for who we really are. And Isaiah's invitation to you and to me when this happens is to join him in this confession. Woe is me. The Eugene Peterson message paraphrase says, I'm as good as dead. Woe to me, I am ruined. I've commented on this before, but I love that our service starts with an acknowledgement that Almighty God unto you, all hearts are open, all desires are known, no secrets are hidden. And we don't, we don't just sort of cartwheel into God's presence saying that. We're saying, Lord, you know us. You know that there's real brokenness here. Who runs the world? Well, you can't see who runs the world simply by looking inside yourself or trying to live your best life now. You can't see who runs the world unless God graciously reveals his character to you. And once you see him for who he is, you have to then rightly see yourself. And it will be confession. It will be confession and repentance. This is uh, not a once in a moment thing. Yes, it happened, really, in Isaiah 6, verse 5. And that was a moment in time that was real for Isaiah. But this is a lifelong journey of repentance that you and I are in on. You never graduate from this. You'll never get to a point where you no longer join in this confession. You'll never arrive on this side of glory. What Luther wrote, All of life is repentance. So when was the last time you fell on your knees and you said, woe to me, Lord. I'm a mess and I need you. You never graduate from that. You might look back on that. You might hear other tests. You can't share somebody else's experience of this. You personally are invited right along with Isaiah as he invites us as we read this to to fall to your knees before this throne, a holy God, and confess I am a person, and then you offer your confession. It was specific. We do practice this general confession every week, and it's really significant and meaningful. We're not meaning to just go through the motions, but I want to challenge you that if your confession of sin on a daily and weekly basis does not go beyond some generalized notion, you're missing out. It was specific. Woe to me, Isaiah cries. I'm a person of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. We're a mess, Isaiah says. Now, okay, great. It's end of sermon. Y'all have a great week. I'm gonna, no. That's not where the story ends. The, that's not where the story ends because on the, on the moment of this confession, verses six and seven, on the heels of this confession, there is a cleansing offered. There is brokenness in us all, but then it is all grace for all of us. Notice this image of heat is used again, not now to symbolize God's holiness, but now the heat symbolizes the purification that's offered for our sins. And the angel takes a coal from the altar, and it places, it places that hot, searing coal right on the place where healing was needed. I want to tell you that's exactly what our God still does. That when your confession, which is specific and real and in time and place, it's not just some general notion that, yeah, sometimes I make mistakes. No, these specific things I confess, the healing and grace that is flown into you touches you right where you deeply need it. It's so personal. It's so deeply transformative And God gets all the glory. His grace begins to transform Isaiah. I want to remind us again that this is not a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. This is a lifestyle of confession and cleansing in God's presence. It's grace. Jesus has both healed us and he is healing us. We're made whole all at once and yet We're still in need of further grace day in and day out. There is a confession. We acknowledge the brokenness in us all, but there is a cleansing. God's grace is available for all of us right where we deeply need it. And then thirdly and finally, there's a commissioning. Did you know that you're called? Isaiah overhears a question that the Holy Trinity is asking. I don't know what it sounded like. I'm not gonna try it. I I was goofing off in my, you know, going through my sermon and nothing that I said sounded right. It sounded so hokey. He hears God asking, who will go for us? Who shall we send? Once there's a confession of sin, once there's been a deep cleansing in our lives, we now begin to hear the chorus of heaven is ascending God, a missionary God that wants others to come to him and know him. He wants to be seen. And and he's asking that question, not only back then, but today. Who will go for us? Who shall we send? And I want to tell you, unlike any other call narrative in the Old Testament, I think, read with me, challenge me on this if I've got this wrong. I think this is the only one that the prophet is literally jumping up and down saying, it's me, pick me. You know why? Because that's what grace does to you. Once, once your identity is totally saturated in God's grace, you'll risk everything. You'll go anywhere. You'll do anything. Because none of it is going to define who you are or your value or your worth. You've got nothing to hide. You've got nothing to lose. And so you can jump up and down with Isaiah and you can say, God, send me. There's a confession. There's a cleansing. But then there's this, this commissioning. All of us are called One of the moments that we often look at when we're thinking about the tri-unity, the Trinity of God, is Jesus' baptism. Because in the baptism of Jesus, we hear the voice of the Father speak and we're, the, the observers of this saw the, the Spirit of God descend on Jesus. And it's one of those like, moments in time in an earthly way where Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this tri-unity are all on display. And I want to remind us as we think about this commissioning, what does the Father say in that moment? What does he say to his Son, Jesus? He doesn't say at the outset of his ministry, now listen up, everybody, and Jesus, you listen up. I want you to start in Galilee, and then I want you to go down through Capernaum. I want you to work your way to Jerusalem. Over the next three years, we're gonna. there's no strategic plan on a whiteboard given. And I actually, I'm kind of miffed by that because that's how my mind works. Show me the plan. Show me the plan, God. Does any, do any of you do this in your walk with God? God, show me the plan, and I'll decide whether or not I want to jump up and down and say, here am I, send me. Uh, we, we work really hard and we fret and get anxious over, what am I supposed to do with my job? What am I supposed to do with my money? What am I supposed to do with my relationships? And all of those are really important things. But God is not so much interested in giving you the master plan for you to know as much as he is calling you to himself relationally into this beloved community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the outset of my own Life in ministry, as in my late teens, I had this deep sense that I was supposed to do something for God. In fact, my parents have on VHS the worst and first sermon I ever preached in front of a church, and the title with a heavy Texas accent was What Can You Do for Jesus? I preached it. And then the next 10 years, I wrestled and wrestled without... I think I'm supposed to perform. I I had no awareness that God was not primarily calling me to some great task as much as he was calling me to a great intimacy with him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What are his words? Come back to the question at the baptism of Jesus. What are his words? He says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Did you hear? Did you hear what I just said? At the outset of Jesus's ministry, his words are not directional, but relational. And then in our gospel reading today, what we heard Jesus say to his disciples is, hey, I'm about to leave and I want to tell you so much, but you can't bear it now. But eventually everything that is mine is going to be declared to you by the Spirit Everything that is the Father's is mine, and the Spirit is going to deliver all of it to you. This is my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Are you in on that dance? Are you in on that story that that your primary identity and worth and value is not just confirmed, but um, you're still kind of like an afterthought. No, God really loves you and really delights in you and really wants you to walk with him in a deeply relational way. This confession and cleansing and commissioning sets you free to really enjoy friendship with God. You'll begin hearing this triune God asking, who will go for us? Who will we send And you'll want to jump up and down with Isaiah. So who runs the world? The triune God does. And this book, Isaiah, and particularly Isaiah 6, is a book about seeing that, seeing the reality that the triune God is seated on the throne. You and I need not just to be reminded, but to be baptized into that reality. The moment that we are in culturally, socially, is challenging so many Christians to to test whether, do you you really believe that the triune God rules the world? That the heartbeat of the universe is not an idea or an abstract belief system, but a relational creator, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You guys know what Rosetta Stone is? It's pretty popular language learning software. How many of you have used Rosetta Stone? Raise your hand. Okay, great, because I'm about to make fun of it. Um, nobody raised their hand. Now it, it says it says on their website, millions of people have learned languages by lo- using this software. You're not one of the millions. I'm not one of the millions. I'm sure it's great. You know, I, I'm sure it's great. Don't send me an email about Rosetta Stone. I'm not trying to hate on Rosetta Stone. But one of their commercials actually, um, there was this like perfectly. Um, idealized image of a a man. He was in his 20s. He had perfect teeth. He was handsome. And he says to the camera in the commercial, I love dreaming in French, he says in English. Now, I don't really have anything against Rosetta Stone, but I'm fairly certain that a software program used in the privacy of your own home, disconnected from any community, is not going to baptize you in the language Uh, that you've never heard. The power of his testimony, though, is that if you're dreaming in French, then you're thinking in French. And if you're thinking in French, then you must be fluent in French. Wow, amazing. Now, for us disciples of Jesus Christ, what are we trying to become fluent in? What are we trying to become fluent in? We're trying to become fluent in the life of the triune God. This was the life Jesus was fluent in. I don't do anything unless my father directs me to. This life of the father and the life in the spirit and their shared kingdom was the fluency that Jesus swam in. And you and I are trying to join in this fluency training program. And here's the sad reality. Because of how difficult community is, because of how broken the institutional church is, we are quick to turn this fluency training program into a sermon we can download, into a book we might read alone, and all those things are good. I love listening to great sermons. I love reading great books, but listen, the triune God has attached his presence to a people called the church. And the way to get in on this and become fluent in the life of the triune God is for you and me to be connected to real human beings called our brothers and sisters in Christ, where God has attached his presence. He's not done that with any other organization or people or institution and to say, Lord, I want to walk with you, I want to know you. I want to be in on this beloved community of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Well, he immediately begins calling together the 12, doesn't he? He's got a mission in the world. He begins 12. Then he begins sending. then he begins multiplying. You're invited in on it, but it's going to take a community, and it's going to take a lifetime. It doesn't happen all in a moment. But you will over time become fluent in this life if you'll join me, if you'll join Isaiah in this life of confession, this life of being cleansed by God's grace. It's all his grace all the time. And then this life that says, hey, the purpose of life in North America is not to just be happy, not to just have my individual family have their needs met. The purpose in life is to join the mission of God, to get in on the commissioning, This confession, this cleansing, this commissioning, this is what Isaiah wants you and I to be in on. It's what I hope you will be in on. Would you get synced up with him this morning? Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, give us a vision of your triune life and teach us over time to be fluent in the reality that everything that is yours has been made ours in Christ Jesus. As we come to you to confess today, Lord, may our confession be specific. And may we experience your cleansing and then your commissioning as we go forth in the world. We ask all of this for your name and for your glory. Amen.